the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. This has got to be obviously the best day of his life. He got up like any other morning, just having a little bit of toast and coffee there on the coast of the Mediterranean, just taking in the morning Mediterranean breeze. And all of a sudden, this angel appears to him, and his life is never going to be the same. Yours wouldn't be either. And I love the way that it says, and he just stared at the angel, and he was afraid. You don't become a centurion in the Roman army. You don't become an officer in the Roman army and, you know, be a wimp. This guy is a man's man. He's a soldier. He's a tough guy, and he's afraid. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Acts. In Acts, we meet a man named Cornelius. He was a God-fearing Roman centurion, known for his generosity and kindness. One fateful day, Cornelius encountered an angel of the Lord who would direct him to find the apostle Peter and listen to all that Peter had to say. In today's message, Pastor Gary sets the scene for this stunning appointment between one Jew and one Gentile, a taboo meeting to be sure. Through Cornelius' conversation, the whole world would soon learn that the gospel was for all, every nation, tribe, and tongue. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 10. Just as a little backdrop to where we are in chapter 10, uh, we have to look back a little bit at at chapter 9 to understand the the continuation of the story. First of all, the first part of chapter 9 had to do with Saul's conversion. So uh, Saul, who will later be known more uh, by his popular name, Paul, the Apostle Paul, gets saved radically in chapter 9 on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. He doesn't believe that Christians are legitimate. He believes that they are a heretical sect of Judaism. So he's doing everything as a zealous you to persecute the early church. Uh, The Lord Jesus appears to him. Saul is radically saved then, and uh, he becomes uh, one that God is going to use in an amazing way, not only through the rest of the book of Acts, but also to write uh, about two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, now, Saul's on the back burner for now because he was, uh, uh, they attempted to kill him. The Jews who did not believe in him or accept his radical transformation. So they tried to kill him not once but twice. 
Uh, they, they tried to kill him in Damascus. Bible says that his uh, friends lowered him in a basket over the city walls of Damascus so he could escape. And then he goes to Jerusalem and they try to kill him there as well. So his friends put him on a ship at Caesarea, which is a port city on the Mediterranean, sent him to Tarsus, which is his hometown where he was born, and he's going to stay there. Uh, in obscurity for about 10 years. So we'll eventually get back to Paul later in the book of Acts, but for now we are revisiting the life of Peter, the same Apostle Peter uh, through the Gospels. He's mentioned in the latter part of chapter 9, and it tells us that Peter goes from Jerusalem just kind of on a, a little journey to encourage the early church, and he stops at a town called Lydda, that's mentioned in verse 32, and he found a man there by the name of Aeneas who was paralyzed, and Peter prays for him and heals him in the name of Jesus. So we see this dramatic and miraculous healing. And then he goes on from Lydda to Joppa, which is also a seaport city on um, the Sea of, of Galilee. This is, so here he is in Joppa at the end of chapter uh, 9. And he is there because he is called there from some friends to go from Lydda to Joppa, where there is a, a lady by the name of Tabitha, Tabitha in Hebrew, which means gazelle. It's a pretty name. She has died. And he, Peter, goes upstairs to where she is lying in state and he prays over her and raises her from the dead so this is just an incredible series of miracles we have here at the close of chapter nine a paralytic gets healed by the name of aeneas and a lady who was dead comes to life again whose name was tabitha and then at the end of chapter nine verse 42 and 43 it says this became known all over joppa and many people believed in the lord And then it says, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, please note that with me. I didn't comment on this at the close of last week's study, but it's important to recognize going into chapter 10 here, because Peter is staying at the home of a guy whose name is Simon, Shimon. So he's a Jew. Simon is a Jew. Peter's surname is Simon, Simon Peter. So they, they share the same name. So this guy is Jewish. He's staying at this guy's house who lives in Joppa. But it tells us that he is a tanner. He's a tanner. That's his trade. That's his occupation. Now, a tanner was someone who obviously, as it suggests, had to work with the rawhide of animals. And so, therefore, his livelihood uh, uh, included constantly dealing with dead animals. And because of that, a tanner was considered in in the Jewish circles as being unclean. You're not supposed to touch dead things. You're supposed to bury dead things as fast as you can. You're not supposed to make a living out of touching dead things. So the fact that Simon is a tanner is very unusual. And tanners in those days had to live 75 uh, feet outside of the the village or, or the town uh, and in, so in this case, Joppa, he had to live on the outskirts of town because they were seen as unclean. He couldn't even li- live in town. Now, the fact that Peter is staying at his house is even more unusual. But it kind of sets the tone for chapter 10. Because chapter 10 is going to be a chapter that helps Peter in particular, and really all Jews at the time, and for that matter, all of us to understand that there are some things that we do because it's simply tradition and that God has a different perspective of things. 
And tradition would have taught Peter, you don't go into the house of a guy who deals with dead animals. But we automatically already here begin to see that Peter is not so concerned as much with the strict rules and regulations that aren't necessarily biblical. There's a lot of traditions that we embrace and we believe and we think are right, and they may not be biblical. And Peter is going to have his heart stretched here in chapter 10 to really accept something or someone or a group of people that up until this point he would never have accepted. So it's unusual that he's staying here at the home of Simon the Tanner. Now keep that in mind because it's going to play out a little bit in the story here into chapter 10. But in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, At Caesarea, a circle that town, because that's a major uh, point of reference for chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. All right, so pause there because that's a quick introduction to Cornelius. We're going to read a lot more about him. But I want you to, to notice now on our map, uh, we're talking about Caesarea now as we move into chapter 10. It is another seaport town on the coast of the Mediterranean. It is about 30 miles from Joppa. Joppa, by the way, today on, on a map of Israel, Joppa is just on the outskirts of Tel Aviv. In fact, today, it, Tel Aviv is called Tel Aviv hyphenated Jaffa, Tel Aviv Yaffa, because it is kind of conjoined with that small town of Joppa. Now, Joppa had more prominence back in biblical days than it does now. It's more of, you know, an ancient town, but Tel Aviv is, is really the bustling city uh, of Israel today. And, and so Joppa, now up to Caesarea, 30 miles to the north, uh, we, we come across this guy whose name is Cornelius. A little bit about Caesarea. If you've been with me to Caesarea on one of our trips to Israel, this is kind of a bird's eye view of the town from the Mediterranean looking back to the town. And uh, this, this obviously is uh, a, a bunch of rocks and ruins at this point. Just wanted to uh, point out a couple of things. This, this town, Caesarea, was founded by Herod the Great. And he was the one who really built out this town along the coast of the Mediterranean uh, from the years 25 to 13 B.C. And Herod the Great used this as his main residence because Caesarea was seen at the time as the headquarters for this particular province of the Roman Empire. Remember that Israel was under the domination of the Roman Empire at this particular time, and Caesarea was the capital of this area of the Roman Empire. And shouldn't it be, right? I mean, you know, if you're going to have a capital somewhere, might as well pick it on the coast of the Mediterranean. And it is lovely, even though we're looking at a bunch of rocks and ruins. When you, if you've been with me to Caesarea, it's lovely. It's beautiful. And a breeze is always coming off the Mediterranean there. And let me point out a couple of things on the map. You can see up to the top of the screen, there's, there's the ancient theater there that dates back uh, to the Roman period. In fact, when we go to Israel, it's one of the places we stop. We have Bible study, and we actually study this chapter, Acts chapter 10, from the theater there in Caesarea. But this lower part here that, that juts out like a peninsula into the Mediterranean is really the ruins of Herod the Great's palace grounds. 
And one of the things that he had there, and, and I'll just point to it, and you can barely see there's a, there's a rectangular area that still remains, and I put another little highlight over it. If you, I don't know if you can see that or not. But, but Herod actually developed a, a freshwater swimming pool on his grounds. Even though the Mediterranean is salt water, he was able to make a fresh water swimming pool right there, carved out of the niches of the, the bedrock of the coast there of, of Caesarea. And this is where he lived. And, uh, you know, a little villa on, on the coast of the Mediterranean. That's where Herod the Great lived. Uh, it will later become uh, not just Herod the Great's place of residence, but all the other governors uh, who succeed him. And one of the main uh, uh, players in the New Testament who was the ruler of this province in the days of Jesus was Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate, the one who condemned Jesus to death, lived up here also at Caesarea when he succeeded Herod and he became the governor or the prefect of Judea. And he would only go, Pontius Pilate would only go down to Jerusalem during the feast time to kind of control the crowd. That's the reason he was down in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion of Christ, because it was Passover. And so Pontius Pilate left Caesarea, goes down to Jerusalem, and tries to do a little crowd control and manage the millions of people who make pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the feasts of the Jews. But this is the place that Pontius Pilate also hung out. Now, up until, check this out, up until 1961, there was no archaeological rec record of Pontius Pilate. And many skeptics of the Bible said Pontius Pilate, just a mention of figment of history's imagination, wasn't a real person. But in 1961, in, in the theater or the Hippodrome that's also pictured here in the ruins, was discovered this limestone placard. And I know it, it's rough to read, but in Latin there, etched in the limestone, it reads Tiberium Pontius Pilatus Praefectus Judei. And it means basically Pontius, well, in the days to Tiberius Caesar, it was dedicated to Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate Prefect or Governor of Judea. And he ruled for 10 years from A.D. 26 to 36. And so Pontius Pilate becomes, you know, the main the main inhabitant of Caesarea. And so this, this particular town has a lot of historical significance. Now, in, in this case here, as we look, as we look um, at this place and Cornelius, I want you to note with me a few main things that are said of Cornelius here uh, that we just read in verse 2, that he was a Gentile because it tells us that he's a centurion. So he's a Roman officer. A centurion was a Roman officer in charge of 100 men. He's a Gentile. This is important to the story of Acts. And it tells us that he's devout. That word is used. It also tells us in verse 2 that he's God-fearing. And it tells us that he gave generously and he prayed regularly. Now, those are the words that describe Cornelius. And Cornelius is living in Caesarea. And um, it is here that this angel appears to Cornelius in verse 3. Keep reading with me. It says, One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Cornelius did. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. <laughs> what is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send some men to Joppa, to bring back a man named Simon, 
who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So again, just to orient ourselves, here he is living to the north in Caesarea. He's going to send two of his servants and a devout soldier, part of, part of his uh, century, down to Joppa, the 30 miles, because why? This angel has appeared to Cornelius, and, and Cornelius sees this angel, and this angel speaks to him. And says, what you've been doing has not gone unnoticed by God. Now, please note, he is a devout man. He's God-fearing. He gives generously. He prays regularly. He is not a believer yet in Jesus Christ. There are a lot of decent, devout, religious people who are not believers in Jesus. Okay, Cornelius is an example of a million people who go to church regularly. They're devout they're God-fearing. They might even pray a lot. But we're going to see in a moment that nobody has helped Cornelius connect the dots of what it means to have a personal relationship with God and what it means to be saved. Because he doesn't understand yet the truth of Jesus and how the truth of Jesus relates to that relationship with, 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 with God. So he's devout. He's God-fearing. He prays a lot and he gives a lot. That will not get someone into heaven. One of the biggest deceptions that has penetrated the hearts and minds of a lot of good, honest, decent people, is that if they just remain good, honest, decent people, they'll get to heaven. The Bible makes it clear that we are saved by grace through faith, and this not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Even there in Ephesians 2, 8, it tells us that even the ability to believe by faith is a gift from God. But that it has to be faith exercised in response to the grace of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for us. We put our faith in his finished work. It is not by human effort that we gain entrance into heaven or have sins forgiven. It is only by what Christ has done for us, and we must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I have a, 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 a real heart for people who are good, God-fearing, devout, praying people. But you and I need to help them understand that being good is not good enough. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. You cannot gain entrance into heaven by being a good, decent, God-fearing, praying person. It doesn't work that way. Now, what I love about this story is that God so much loves this particular individual man. Here he is, a Gentile, a Roman centurion, that God is going to send an angel to speak to him. And God is going to pursue him and go after him. Because it isn't as if the good things that people do go unnoticed. God noticed. And the angel said so. But those good things aren't enough. And so God is going to now bring into Cornelius' life the Apostle Peter, who's going to share with him the truth of who Jesus is. And so the angel announces this to Cornelius and says, Hey, there's a guy whose name is Peter, and he's staying at a house in Joppa, and he even gives him the address, a guy whose name is Simon the Tanner. His house is by the sea. Send men to go get Simon and bring him back. And so Cornelius does that. 
this has got to be obviously the best day of his life. He got up like any other morning, just having a little bit of toast and coffee there on the coast of the Mediterranean, just taking in the morning Mediterranean breeze. And all of a sudden, this angel appears to him, and his life is never going to be the same. Yours wouldn't be either. And I love the way that it says, and he just stared at the angel. And he was afraid. You don't become a centurion in the Roman army. You don't become an officer in the Roman army and, you know, be a wimp. This guy is a man's man. He's a soldier. He's a tough guy. And he's afraid. And I only point that out because sometimes when people talk about encounters with angels, like it happens every day, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You should be afraid. If, if an angel of the Lord appears to you, this should be such an awesome sight to behold that you should be trembling in your sandals. And that's what Cornelius was doing here. But in response, he sends two servants and one of his trusted soldiers. You guys go down to Joppa. Tells him the whole story. I wonder if they believed him. You just saw what? Yeah, I know. You're not going to believe it. I just saw an angel. It's an incredible thing. It's going to be the best day of my life, probably yours too. You need to go down to Joppa, 30 miles, guy by the name of Simon. He's staying in another guy's house by the name of Simon. Don't get confused. He's the tanner guy, 75 feet outside of town. You'll be able to find him. And off they go. Now, notice what God is doing. Look at, look at verse 9. What God is doing on Peter's end of things. He's going to prepare Simon Peter as well for this whole encounter. Verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city. Okay, it's the following day. It takes two days. They're going to go 30 miles. It's, it takes two days. It says, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So now the story is in Joppa. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Well, I can relate to that, can't you? I mean, I've been real hungry and feel like I fell into a trance, but this is obviously more than low blood sugar, okay? But it's, you know, while he's, while he's you know, praying and he's hungry, he's waiting for the meal to be prepared here, he, he falls into a trance. What exactly does that mean? I have, I have no idea, honestly. It, but he's going to have a, a, an incredible encounter here with the Lord. So this is a dream-slash-vision. How much of it is he conscious? How much is this... You know, in dreamland, I don't know, but it's from the Lord. And it tells us this in verse 11, that he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, remember, look, folks, this is the guy who said to Jesus, I will never disown you. I will never deny you. So I'm not sure if never really means never. You know, I wonder if he has snuck a pork rib. You know, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he's had pulled pork barbecue sandwich. Maybe not. But he says never. Now, what I like about this and what I find a little humorous and somewhat hypocritical, all right? You know these people who pride themselves in stuff they've never done, but yet they've done other stuff that is even more terrible, you know? It's, it's like, you know, somebody's like, I've never let alcohol touch my lips. Yeah, but you've slept around all your life. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, is, is, that, is that a little inconsistent? And people begin to, I've never done this, I've never done that. Yeah, but you did this. So, you know, why, why, why are you going around saying what you haven't done? Because you're just as guilty as the rest of us. So, you know, hold your tongue. But this is where Peter's, Peter's this kind of guy, you know, he just makes bold promises and doesn't always deliver. 
you know, maybe, maybe this is true. I don't know. But, it, but at least the, here's the hypocrisy. He's like, I've never, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. But check it out. Where is he? Yeah, he's at a house of a guy who deals with dead animals. So he's like, I've never had anything unclean. But by the way, I'm staying at a house of a guy who's unclean. So this is, this is you know, Peter for you, all right? And, uh, and what is the deal here? The deal is that in this vision come all these kind of animals, four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air. It, it isn't descriptive, but it is in Peter's response because when he takes pride in saying, because the Lord says to him, you see this that's being brought down to you from this sheet, all right? Get up and eat. And he goes, I, I've never eaten anything unclean, which tells us that, that the animals within the sheep are unclean animals because Peter's offended in this vision that he's being asked to eat something that is not kosher. Now remember, he's a Jew, and he, and he wants to abide by the letter of the law, and the letter of the law is that there were some foods that were unclean. There's much more to glean from the pages of Acts and the history of the early church, but we'll pause our journey through it for today. Join us next time as Pastor Gary continues to share the the power of the Holy Spirit with us. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary, or the church these messages originate from, we encourage you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Browse through our archive of previous messages while you're there. And feel free to share them with friends and family. Download our mobile app as well to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Pastor Gary has also made available a study guide to accompany his series in Acts. You can find this digital booklet and companion resources under the Teachings tab. Do you live in the Leesburg area or will you be visiting in the near future? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for service times, more information, and directions. If you can't join us in person, don't worry. We live stream our services. Just click the link under the teachings tab. Thanks for joining us today. And be sure to tune in again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul. That you've got no place to go. But still you know. You're not alone. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.